0: Hello, everyone. We are live, and I am going to be talking today about illusions of subjectivity in discernment. And this is coming from a book by Father Thomas Dubé called Authenticity, A Biblical Theology of Discernment. I found this particular selection interesting and important because. All of us face discernment uh, in our lives, and I felt that the way that he described this illusion of subjectivity that we have, uh, very well stated and something we could all benefit from. So, this is the illusion of subjectivity in discernment. While there are people for whom the objective, out-there fact, rule, and norm are everything, there are others for whom their inner perception, feelings, and conscience are the ultimate criteria of truth. These differences among people are not to be viewed as unrelated to the problem of discerning the activities of the indwelling spirit. If modern biblical and theological advances are teaching us anything, they are making it plain that God takes our humanness seriously. He even allows his revelation to be affected by the limitations of our languages, cultures, and individual traits. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us. Since people really do assign differing roles and emphases to subjectivity and objectivity in their lives, we see emerging a whole nest of questions about our ability to discern the spirit, hello Adriana, and about the criteria by which we shall know whether and to what extent we have or have not detected his finger in our lives. One does not work long with religiously orientated people before he meets men and women who are convinced of a personal contact with God and yet who offer no objective grounds on the basis of which one could give rational credence to their claims. A theologian may call this illusory conviction a gnosis, a special knowledge thought to be of God and from him, and yet nothing actually more than one's own feelings or insight. One gets the impression in reading and hearing about widespread widespread practices of, quote, discerning the spirit, that the whole matter is easy and obvious. But when one looks into the theology of the matter, he finds that our best thinkers take quite another view. They speak of discernment as demanding and difficult. One of the most perceptive of all of our writers on the subject of detecting valid and invalid movements of God within the human heart can say, Since no one is capable of knowing perfectly the things that pass naturally through his imagination— or of forming an integral and certain judgment about them, how much less is one able to make judgments about supernatural things which transcend our capacity and occur but rarely? St. John of the Cross is not credulous. He is not persuaded that even on a natural level we grasp completely our inner life. And in this, he is more up-to-date than many of us. It is now common among ethicists to speak of unconscious motivation to explain how we usually do not grasp fully why we do what we do. John's argument is a fortiori. If this is true on the common natural level, It is even more true on the less common supernatural level. He adds that people often think their ideas are from God, whereas they are only the product of their own imagination. A further manifestation of illusory subjectivity is found in the exaggerated individualism we note in much of current ethics. Situation ethics plays down objective norms in favor of one's inner love motivation. Almost any physical act can conceivably be good if it occurs in the right circumstances and with the right intention. Hello, Sage. Karl Rahner and Herbert Vorgrimler are correct in looking upon situation ethics As an extreme individualism, a short circuit chosen by a mind that wishes to spare itself, the trouble of patient reflection such as is necessary to clarify a complicated situation. It is entirely possible that one may appeal to listening to the spirit as a substitute for listening to the evidences of study, or hearing the Spirit-sent teachers in the church. We ought not to consider it accidental that young people brought up in this climate conclude to an alarming subjectivity in their ethical opinions. That is good which one feels is good. And hence, each is entitled to his own view. We are a long way here from gospel morality. The illusions of subjectivity find place, too, in prayer life. Many of us fail accurately to assess our growth or lack of it in prayer. A few believe themselves to be growing in prayer depth when they are not. Many think themselves stymied in growth when they are advancing nicely. For this reason... Those attempting to lead a deep prayer life may be well advised to seek guidance from a competent guide, but sadly the evidence suggests that competent guides are few. Contrary to a fairly common persuasion, excessive subjectivity is a sign of a decadent culture. (laughs) Even secular writers have noticed this in their study of history. It's an old story, writes one observer, that in periods of history characterized by quickened erosion of social institutions, of social authorities, there is always a turning within, a pronounced interest in the self, in egoistic states, in reflexive preoccupations. I agree with Goethe that progressive ages are objectivist, subjectivism goes with decadence both the individual and society weaken and fragment when they lose a healthy respect for objective evidence and tend instead to seek refuge in experience alone as the criterion of truth moral ideals and religious truth wellsprings of vibrant and creative action are gone Experience in itself begets certainty regarding the experience, but not regarding the interpretation of it. This distinction is important for a sound evaluation of supposed listening to God. The illusions of which I am speaking in this chapter are largely due to faulty interpretation of what goes on within one's person. Subjectivity desperately needs objectivity. Well said, Thomas Dubé, Authenticity, a biblical theology of discernment. But again, to make sure we are not missing the other side of this coin, I wanted to add to it from Evelyn Underhill's Mysticism, the classic work, a paragraph that she has in her chapter chapter on introversion, recollection, and quiet, which I feel defines the out-of-body travel state and the mystical state very well And defines it in such a way that gives someone seeking this subjectivity and objectivity some actual evidence to go on when they are trying to discern more profoundly their own experience in a more precise way. So it says here... Contemplation, taking that term in its widest sense, as embracing all the degrees and kinds of mystical prayer, establishes communion between the soul and the absolute by way of these complementary modes of apprehending that which is one. A, the usually uncontrollable uncontrollable, (laughs) definitely outgoing, ecstatic experience, the attainment of pure being, or, quote, flight to God, unquote. B, the more controllable, ingoing experience, the breaking down of the barrier between the surface self and those deeper levels of personality where God is met and known, quote, in our nothingness, unquote, and a mysterious fusion of divine and human life takes place. The one, says the Christian mystic, is the, quote, going forth to the father, unquote. The other is the, quote, marriage with the son, unquote. Both are operated by the spirit whose dwelling is in the spark of the soul, Yet it is probable, in spite of the spatial language which the mystics always use concerning them, that these two experiences, in their most sublime forms, but are but opposite aspects of one whole. The complementary terms of a higher synthesis beyond our span In that consummation of love, which Roysbrook has called the peace of the summits, they meet. Then distinctions between inward and outward, near and far, cease to have any meaning. In the dim silence where lovers lose themselves. To mount to God, says the writer of De Ad Deo, is to enter into oneself. For he who inwardly entereth and intimately penetrateth into himself gets above and beyond himself and truly mounts up to God. Says Towler of this ineffable meeting place, which is to the intellect an emptiness and to the heart a fulfillment of all desire. All there is so still and mysterious and so desolate, for there is nothing there but God only and nothing strange. This wilderness is the quiet desert of the Godhead, into which he leads all who are to receive this inspiration of God now or in eternity. From this quiet desert, this still plain of being, so near to her though she is far from it, The normal self is separated by all the unquiet desert of sensual existence. Yet it stretches through and in her, the stuff of reality, the very ground of her being, since it is, in Julian's words, Julian of Norwich, the substance of all that is, linking that being at once with the universe and with God. God is near us, but we are far from him. God is within, we are without. God is at home, we are in the far country, said Meister Eckhart, struggling to express the nature of this intelligible where. Clearly, if the self is ever to become aware of it, definite work must be undertaken, definite powers of perception must be trained, and the consciousness which has been evolved to meet the exigencies of the world of becoming must be initiated into that world of being from which it came forth. Hi, Elmar. Welcome. So I hope that is helpful in understanding the importance of subjectivity and objectivity in discernment and how we can easily forget the importance of those things in our discernment process and then those details of those places that help us to discern these interior states as well for ourselves. And so thank you for joining me for this live stream. Please subscribe to our channel. It helps us to become more searchable online, which helps us with everything, our search standing and helping us to reach more and more people. If you can, we appreciate so much if you would consider becoming a member. Membership helps us to keep everything we have available for free, our books, our course of study, our films, and much, much more. Uh, makes it available for free for everyone in the world. So consider checking out the membership option by clicking on the join button. Um, We will be back in under five minutes with our next live stream. Thank you for joining me for this one. And I will see you in just a few.